to it. Uh, we're in Colossians chapter 2, uh, verses 13 through 15 today. Uh, if you were with us last week, you know that we talked about um, something that, that probably was a little controversial, but actually was really good news, and that is that in our uh, baptism, God has given us the new covenant circumcision of the heart by putting off the flesh, burying us and raising us in and with Christ through faith. And so, um, well, you know, what the hey, why not mention it again? Let me read the passage from Colossians 2, 11 through 12, just so we can get the context. It reads like this. Um, in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Just good news after good news after good news connected with baptism. So through baptism, God delivers what Christ accomplished for us to us. That's just how he, that's one of the means by which he delivers the goods. That's essentially what that, that passage is saying. Now Paul moves on in verses 13 through 15 of Colossians 2 to sort of show you what Christ actually did accomplish. He meditates on this a little bit. And so he writes this in verse 13, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. End of reading. Though we naturally are dead, not struggling, not sleeping, not hanging on, not reaching out our hand, not looking for God, not seeking for Jesus, but like really spiritually dead, flatlined. Uh, I looked it up in Greek. The word literally means dead, okay, dead. God, in his grace and mercy, condescends to make us alive in our baptism. Please notice the words, make us alive. Not asked if we'd like to come alive, not asked if we, not asked like a gentleman if we'd agree to become alive, but boom, made us alive. Like, does what he wants to do. God, in his own initiative, breathes life into us, apart from us, at our baptism. And essentially what God then, or what Paul then says, God says through Paul, I should say, is he's made us alive because, number one, he's forgiven us. He's canceled the record of debt. It's true. You are forgiven. All your sins, failures, shortcomings, stupid mistakes, and petty grievances, all forgiven by God in Christ. He's thrown them as far as the east is from the west. For those who look to Christ, you literally are a new creation, whether you feel like it or not. But how could God do such a thing if God is really a just God? Well, that's a good question. I think, um, you know, you have to kind of say, well, does he merely just overlook sin? Does he sort of like uh, look at it like a, an old grandpa that just doesn't really have the time or energy to deal with it? 
or is he like the doting mother who refuses to see her child's problems or the fact that he's turned out to be a raging criminal because she just has those motherly eyes that loves too much? Is that what God is like? Is that why he's forgiven us? Well, no. The scriptures don't present God like that. As a matter of fact, the short answer is God is so just that he knew he'd be the only one that could pay the price for our sin, and so he does just that. He pays the price for us. This is the way Paul says it here. God forgave us by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. This statement, that statement, is such a profound picture of the gospel. That is the good news. He cancels your record of debt caused and incurred by your sin and nails it to the cross of Christ. He imputes your sin to Jesus. It's an incredible exchange. Unfortunately, this simple message of the gospel we have such a difficult time uh, just allowing to be what it is. We are so prone to want to add something to it or to want to add our own works to it because it's by our nature we want to have some skin in the game. And yet, here's what Paul says. This has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with you. He canceled the record of your debt by nailing it to Jesus' cross. You're out of the equation. You don't have anything to do with this. God has done it. He's accomplished it on his own. It is finished, whether you like it or not. It's finished. This is the good news of the gospel. Like, it's literally finished. Your sin has been paid for. There's nothing you can do to take away from it. There's nothing you can do to add from it. Done. Done. Your sin is paid for. Accomplished. Finished. Nailed to the cross, as Paul says. And because of that, God has disarmed the enemy of your soul. Because of the cross of Christ taking away your sin, God has disarmed Satan. Now, uh, one of the interesting things I think about the cross is the different perspectives that, uh, that must have been happening as it was all going down. I mean, from the Pharisees' perspective, a rebel was being put down. This is a thorn in their side that was finally going to go away, and they would have you know, their sort of prestige uh, brought back. From Rome's perspective, a potential insurrectionist is being uh, taken down, being stopped. From the disciples' perspective, the one they thought that was Messiah, was th that was going to conquer the enemies of God, is now being put to death on the cross. Um, and, and how joyous, how joyous this must have been for the enemy at the time. I mean, for the enemy, for the devil, he is seeing his sworn enemy uh, on the cross, the Son of God, dying, bleeding, suffering, and no one there to help. And it must have, for a brief moment, the enemy must have felt like victory was his. And yet, from heaven's perspective, at the moment of greatest agony, when Jesus would cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's where God is actually taking away the devil's arsenal. How's he doing it? Well, think about it with me for a second. The, the, the word devil literally means accuser, the one who accuses. What he seeks to do is accuse you of all the wrongdoing you've committed 
before a holy God so that you have no chance, no chance of fellowship with him, of heaven with him. And at the cross, what God essentially says is, I've taken that away from you, Satan. There is nothing you can accuse anyone of that has not already been dealt with and punished. Now, nevertheless, the, the devil still accuses you. Yes, we experience that. He still tries to deceive you into thinking that it's all about your works or lack thereof. And when that happens, when that happens, Christian, remember the words of Colossians chapter 2, where we're told he has disarmed the enemy by nailing your sins to the cross. Remember that. Dwell on that. That is your hope. It is finished. It is finished. I'll close with a quote from Luther, who dealt with all sorts of anxiety because of his sin and was always sort of stressed out about whether God was working in his life and whether he was really saved. And this is what he said to do if you're struggling with, if, if you're feeling accused, if you're feeling like the devil is trying to remind you of past sins or, or your even current sins. This is what he says. So when the devil throws your sins in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, tell him this. I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, Son of God. And where he is, there I shall be also. And then drop your mic and go in peace. <laughs>